Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Clotho, at Clotho Spindle on Twitter, joined with Kama. Hi, I'm Kama, and I'm at the hyphen real hyphen comma splice on Tumblr. And Guile. Hi, I'm Guile. I tweet at Door Podcast. Cool. And uh, we're discussing Asha's first point of view chapter, The Kraken's Daughter. It's chapter 11 in the book A Feast of Crows in this episode. We're taking kind of a breather from, uh, we've said that before, but this is our start of the breather from Tyrion chapters. So, Yay! <laughs> Spoiler warnings for A Song of Ice and Fire and the show Game of Thrones, as well as warnings for any potential discussions of violence and rape. So we, when we start, Asha is waiting for her supporters to arrive at Ten Towers, the seat of House Harlow on the east coast of the Iron Islands. After Balan Greyjoy's death, her uncle, Lord Roderick, had summoned the lords of the Iron Islands to his hall. The feast is almost over, and the hall is three-quarters empty, and those that are here are mostly Harlows, Harlaws. Sorry. She turned to a very old woman named Three Tooth and asks, her un- asks after her uncle and lady mother. The old woman tells her that her mother is in the widow's tower, and Asha thinks of how frail her mother was, and how she had worried before she went off to war that her mother would die before she returned, never considering that her father would instead. She can't bear to face her mother with news that Theon is dead just yet, so she decides to go speak with Lord Roderick. She asks Three Tooth to see that her crew and captives have warm beds and hot meals. She specifically requests that Lady Glover and her children are well taken care of. So I'll stop there so we can discuss that first segment. I really liked the description of, you know, of her mom in that, and I, I'm, I apologize, I'm not absolutely 100% sure this is in the, in the area that you covered, but just, um, you know, we kind of hear about her mother being frail and, and whatnot, yeah. but then you hear, you also get Asha's remembrances of her and you know, like this fierce woman who taught her how to, you know, kind of taught her how to be who she is. And yeah. it's such a contrast from who she is now. And it's, um, you know, kind of, devastating when you see how the loss of her sons affected her and then also yeah. like super pisses you off to think that Theon didn't see her when he was in the Iron Islands like oh, you asshole know. you know like that could have potentially been like really you know how hard life- would it would have been for him to take you and know, what 15 would have, minutes yeah. Yeah. and what would it have meant for his mom you know like yeah. it just seems like it could have just turned things around for her maybe you know so that kind of like God damn you. Like, of all, it's so stupid, though. Like, of all the things to be super pissed about and Theon about, like, I'm pissed that he didn't go to see his mom. Like, <laughs> yeah, I get it, though. I mean, it's like, yeah, this woman has, it's clear she's missed. I mean, that her two older sons have been dead for years. Yeah. And she has not gotten over that. And he knows, I mean, he's got a, well, maybe he doesn't know, but I mean, you'd think he would have thought about that. And it, yeah, and it's just also given the re- it's it's weird because given the reception he had from his father, you would sort of think that you would naturally like go to your mom, you know, yeah. like you weren't yeah. quite like That's welcome with open arms, like well, you know, go to like if mom won't give you money, go to dad. <laughs> 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 Does not everyone? Doesn't everyone do this? Like, come on. 
Oh, yeah, it's very sad. And that I, I'm pretty sure that was in that section because there's a description of her, her sister as well. And Yeah, um, like the two of them are oh, both alive gosh. and kind of haunt, like, <laughs> kind of living in the past and haunting this tower. Yeah, these sound pretty cool. I thought this, you know, they were saying how much Asha, you know, reflects that she really was one of her favorite places um, growing up. And, I mean, it sounds fascinating, like the whole area, you know, that the the different towers and the whole castle system there. Sounds pretty yeah. cool. And and what what is her uh what do they call her? Well her mother they call her nickname is Lanny. Yeah. Um and what is the the, the sister she's seven years older Gwyneth? than Roderick. Winness and she believes that she should it. should have inherited the castle, so that's why she's staying there, is the deal, I guess. <laughs> After her husband died. It yeah, sounds like, like she just camped out and wasn't ever going <laughs> back. Yeah. Which, you know, I I can be somewhat sympathetic about. I mean, seven years, though, like, I kind of get anxious at a guest. Like, you know, it's eight o'clock in the morning. You're still here. Like, come on, let's let's move it along. Yeah, at that point, you're you're no longer a guest. It's different when it's like your house, you know? Yeah, like the house you grew up in. Right. Yeah. Versus, like, I just show up, you know, at my brother's or whatever, which I'm sure he'd love. And it actually sounds decent, like, you know, it sounds decent and, and somewhat normal compared to a lot of the other areas of, I don't know, maybe I've just built this idea in my mind of the the Iron Islands. And well, they said it's the richest and the most populous, so I think yeah, that they must more. have some, you know, perhaps they have some kind of an economy other than, you know, so you know rape pillaging. Yeah, yeah, it well, doesn't feel as, as desperate or, yeah. I, you know, normally... I'm like, the Iron Islands seem like the last place in the world I'd ever want to go and spend any time. But um, this is the one description where I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I could kind of like, yeah, it could be okay, you know, hang out with Uncle Harlow, talk about books, it'd be great. Seems architecturally interesting, you yeah. know, like, yeah. vacation good spot. food. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we go into Lord Roderick was nicknamed the Reader because he was rarely seen without a book. He was an ordinary man, distinguished only by his love of written words, which so many ironborn found un- unmanly and perverse. When she ascends the book tower, she finds her uncle reading Archmeister Marwin's book, sorry, Book of Lost Books. She asks him if he thinks her father was murdered, and he responds that her mother does. He informs her that Aaron Damfair has called a king's moot, he confirms that the other priests are preaching in support as well. Victorian has sent word of Balin's death, and they have not heard his response. Or Sorry, was sent word. They sent word to him, essentially, and he didn't respond. Asha asks about the last king's moot, and Roderick responds, 4,000 years, and this is a section from the book I'm reading, 4,000 years if Harrig can be believed, half that if you accept Master Deniston's arguments and questions. Going to Old Wick serves no purpose. This dream of kingship is a madness in our blood. I told your father so the first time he rose, and it is more true now than when it was than it was then. It's land we need, not crowns. With Stannis Baratheon and Tywin Lannister contending for the Iron Throne, we have a rare chance to improve our lot. Let us take one side or the other, help them to victory with our fleets, and claim the lands we need from a grateful king. That might be worth some thought once I sit the sea stone chair, said Asha. Her uncle sighed. You will not want to hear this, Asha, but you will not be chosen. No woman has ever ruled the Ironborn. Gwynis is seven years my elder, but when our father died, the Ten Towers came to me. It will be the same for you. You are Balan's daughter, not his son, and you have three uncles. 
And uh, she counters, you know, what he's just said, um, that she has four, including him. And he warns her that he is no Kraken. Even his support is not enough. Her fight is hopeless. He asks her to stay, offering to make her heir to the Ten Towers. And she responds that it is her father's seat she wants, not his. That's, I was pretty impressed that he, you know, was willing to offer that, considering, I mean, the aunt's got to be pissed that she waited. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and even, you know, you can see, like, he personally really loves her. I mean, he's, like, basically saying, I'm going to sink your ship so you can't go there because I think, you know, Euron's going to kill you all, basically. Yeah, there was a lot of info I didn't get to in that. Yeah, yeah. One thing that struck me is um, you can kind of see the timeline of the story here because, mm-hmm. you know, I think if I recall, Balin's death is actually mentioned in A Storm of Swords. So, and then, you know, just the mention of Tywin Lannister kind of triggered me to like, this is all actually taking place before the end of A Storm of Swords. So we're kind of in that. Um, or they don't have good intel and I couldn't well, figure that out. Yeah, I think it actually does take place before um, A Storm of Swords, but I also think you're right. Like we've seen other, um, I can't remember the chapter that we were doing. I think it was maybe the Elaine, the Elaine chapter in okay. A Feast for Crows where they didn't necessarily have um, complete information and they, it didn't seem like they were aware that Tywin, Tywin was dead. Yeah. yeah, so it just seems, you know, obviously news is slow to travel, but then too, we know that George doesn't necessarily write like in a perfect, um, perfectly linear manner. We get a lot of information in here. And I mean, this plan sounds to me, this sounds sensible. What he's talking about doing sounds completely sensible and what, you know, Oh, sure. I mean, you know, unfortunately they're going to, you know, more or less elect a madman. So it's not going to matter what she does really. Like she's, She's basically, you know, she's basically screwed. And in the long run, maybe she, you know, in the long run, maybe she makes the best choice. Like, I guess, I guess we'll see. But, you know, she is somewhat removed from, from Euron, which seems like in the short term will be, you know, maybe work out the best for her. It was interesting that he's reading Master, um, Archmaster Marwin, though, who, right. um, you know, is like, is smattered all over a feast yeah. for crows. Um and I think, so he was reading about the daughter that had the visions of the Doom of Valeria, which I thought was, you know, is that like a, you know, is it important, do you think, what he's, you know, what specifically he's reading? It seems like it is. I mean, I don't know why, you know, <clears throat> it seemed like a good opportunity for George to inject some, you know, some information in there, kind of like a Hermione type thing where they're reading something and they mention mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I like the description of him, like, reading on a ship or, like, reading a book in between, um, you know, like, audiences with his subjects, more or less. Like, he's, you can, it's so easy to, like, picture him and feel, you know, affection for him because he just does seem like kind of an oddball for the Ironborn. And yet, you know, commands a ship still, you know, he's still, still got it. Yeah, I thought it was just very a, a pretty cool contrast, too, because everybody can't be the same. You know, you get sort of stereotypical about... Yeah, and regions, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and he's not, you know, and you know, it's not like he's the same as Asha. Like, it's not yeah, like yeah. they're framed as like the different Ironborn, and they yeah. read and they're smart. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I agree, and I think like it. I like this part because half of the Ironborn chapters, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> they're all legitimately. I mean, they're not even just a little bit mentally ill. I mean, they have like you know, they're like a perfect storm of crazy. Every one of them. 
and um, it's it's nice to have the there's like a little little bits of normalcy here and there, which I really appreciate. You know, what I thought was kind of cool in this chapter is that Ashen, like George, never I like we. Like I call him George, like I know him, sorry. Um, Mr. Martin. <laughs> he never he never has Asha describe her like think like think of a description of herself, which is kind of unusual for a woman POV written by a man. Like I feel like there'd be some description of Yeah, like when Daenerys was thinking about her who boobs and the the shirt was that the the infamous thing? Yeah, she doesn't (laughs) like like that would be in there somewhere, and there's really you know there's really none of that, which is nice. I mean, she talks a little bit about her pimples, but it's not like she looks into a mirror and comments on her jet black hair and her lustrous you know blah blah blah, which is like, dude, people don't do this. (laughs) But yeah, but to be fair, like I feel like people would dwell on their pimple, you know, if they had like a big like acne problem like they probably would dwell on that that makes sense to me and i I mean i just think so much of asha is not about her physical appearance i mean like clearly she does not remember her acne with any great fondness and i don't blame her but it's not you know how she looks is does not consume her right right i like a lot actually (laughs) okay uh let's see um so after she's done talking with her uncle, she descends the tower on her way back to her crew and runs into Tristopher, Botley, as she enters the moonlit courtyard. The crow's eye had drowned his father and given his lands to um, Lord Winch. She tells him she will restore his lands when she holds the sea stone chair. He tells her it is not to him and that she looks lovely in the moonlight. She remembers their fumbling relationship when they were young. She called it love until he began to talk of wanting more than a dozen children. She told him she wanted adventures. Not long after, Master Quaylen found them at their play and sent Christopher, and that's in quotation, play, sent Christopher Tr- away to Black Tide. She asks him to speak for her at the King's Moot. He tells her that he will go anywhere with her, but warns that the King's Moot is a dangerous folly. He has asked her mother for her hand in marriage, and she has consented. He tells her that he has never touched another woman and is shocked when she says she has touched other men. She tells him to find a brothel, and he responds, here's the portion of the book I'll read, I could never, Christopher shook his head, you and I were meant to be, Asha, I have always known you would be my wife and the mother of my sons. He seized her upper arm. In a blink, her dirk was at his throat. Take your hand away, or you won't live long enough to breed a son. Now. When he did, she lowered the blade. You want a woman well and good. I'll put one in your bed tonight. Pretend she's me, if that will give you pleasure, but do not presume to grab at me again. I am your queen, not your wife. Remember that. Asha sheathed her dirk and left him standing there with a fat drop of blood slowly creeping down his neck, black in the pale light of the moon. <laughs> so there's a lot in there where he was kind of going on and on. <laughs> Try to and woo I kind of like that she... <laughs> I feel like she banged like Thor basically like it's this big blonde sailor yes. from Lee's like I did my hat I was like oh Thor <laughs> now I'm always gonna think of that whenever I read that part. I just totally picture Chris Helmsworth as like <laughs> who she was screwing like I'm like yeah you know fair enough Asha no so what shame does, what does this dude look like do we get his description like we don't get it here do we get it later I didn't look it up well we both know that he, he had acne too I mean but that seems to have been a, a little... bonding point i mean i just don't you just picture him as like sort like kind of tall but not kind of tall kind of short um heavy but also thin like roderick like watery (laughs) eyes like just like so completely i don't know for some reason i thought he was good looking was that in my crazy head i don't know if i think that might be carl 
Oh, oh, I think of another. Blonde she talks dude or about something. briefly. Um, Isn't there somebody she has sex with on when she reaches Westeros too? Remember that? Well, yeah. I mean, she has sex with a number of people, okay. including so um, somebody was hot other than the Thor guy. Well, <laughs> there's Carl the maid, and if you're you're not paying attention, you might think that means he's like you know, but it's just because I don't think he has a beard. Right. Um, it, it sounds like he's actually quite attractive. Yeah. Um, it, he's just clean shaven, unlike all the other ones. So I, I think that's what that is all about. And it sounds like when she talks about um, when she refers to um, Christopher, it sounds just like she mentions his acne again. She's not really one to dwell on the whole physical appearance thing. It just sounds like he's that annoying guy that you dated. And it was fun, but it's over. And why won't he realize? And you know, at I'm least looking that was up my... this draw- a drawing of him, and they have him so short. They say he has messy brown hair and large eyes in the, uh, just, in the wiki. And when they were young, I mean, she putting her in this box that she has clearly shown him time and again. She has no interest in being, and you know, he can't conceive of a woman outside of the role of wife and mother, which, which is yeah. weird. Like when he doesn't, he, yeah. Like how could he think that he's in love with her? Like he clearly, literally knows nothing about her. Yeah, it's a well, fantasy. Yeah, and I mean, where has he been living? I mean, they're in this community where women. I mean, where she, what she's doing is not that outside the norm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't get that they're yeah they're particularly like modest or anything, and and that's the weird. You know, isn't it weird that we hear we have two men that seem pretty out of. You know, not sort of atypical for what you stereotypically think about the Iron Islands. You know, because he's yeah. pretty rare too. <laughs> I, Maybe I that's all just line. like bravado. I don't know if I'm stepping ahead, but her line about how she doesn't want a dozen babies, she wants to have adventures. Yeah, yeah, we're at the end. This is I read the last part of it, so yeah, I love that. that. And I think there's speculation that she might be pregnant too with um, you know, with oh. Carl's baby at some point. You know, she might be um. I don't know specifically where that comes from, but I've seen spec. Maybe it's just because she's basically, you know, she's had sex on page. So maybe, but, you know, given like the, the starvation and whatnot, where she ends up, that might not be, you know, and not be for the best, but yeah, I mean, what is he he talking about? Dozens though. Like does anybody, okay. Aside from like the phrase, but he's marrying multiple wives. Like, does anybody have like 20 kids in in Westeros? Like what is this dozens coming from? (laughs) It's like, what the hell? Cause you think people die early and have dozens, you know, to like, you know, they have to have dozens to have like six because so many of them die. So maybe, yeah. So maybe they family thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's a thing. Cause I'm, yeah. Maybe it's just like that's the dis- I mean that's a male kind of I'm going to have oh we're going to have all these babies. It's it's usually the women who are like I don't want all those kids. Thank you. No. Yeah. Well, like my uterus is going to fall out if <laughs> if we have that many and Yes. And how naive no. is he to you to mention that? You think he <laughs> I feel like Christopher Botley would not know anything about women. <laughs> like, I feel fairly confident in feeling like that, he would that, be that the he would think that that's like viewed as like, oh, that you're giving me all these wonderful babies. Or I think he might, he might, in fact, believe in the stork. <laughs> or the pelican on the Iron yeah. Isles. <laughs> or whatever. Maybe, he, maybe there's like a myth in like Ironborn culture that krakens <laughs> bring children from the sea. The oh and he thinks like, you know, a dozen children like krakens got eight arms so it's like one and a half <laughs> cracking like 
Kraken trips. <laughs> yeah, one for every Kraken arm and some spares. Yeah. And oh my god. I feel like there probably are like Ironborn fairy tales of like Kraken bringing like eight babies up. <laughs> How big is like an amusement <laughs> park ride with like the eight arms and the babies? Like a carny ride? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We're just <so> like... <laughs> well, I I do kind of I love how George is like you know how I don't know how she the minute she got her period she was she wanted to have sex I'm like it, yeah it doesn't work like that necessarily. Oh, that was weird. I did. I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that's so weird. That now suddenly your libido kicks in when you get your period. Like that's very bizarre. I mean, yeah, like, your random. hormones start up and stuff, but it's not an immediate thing, and it certainly isn't like no, you know, again, not. I mean, she could have been anywhere biologically. I mean, anywhere from like what ten to fifteen, and I think it would depend on a lot of factors. And I, I it's sort of like. He thinks that this is how it works. And I'm like, talk about someone who needs some help with uh, anatomy and like human physiology. I mean, it doesn't necessarily, you know, you know, you don't necessarily get your period. And like, okay, I'm ready to have sex now. It just does not work that way. No, no, you're like, want to, yeah. No, George, no. Like, have some, like, you have sisters. They, I'm sure they talked about this stuff. You have friends with you, you know, you have a wife. Like, come on. It's not like we're cats. <laughs> like you get your first heat, and that's it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. That's what he makes it sound like. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Uh, so I don't know anything else. I'm trying to think of anything else that really stood out. Um, you know, we got a little background. Well, I guess, like you said, the layout of the island, and it was one of the largest. And it sounds pretty hopeless from what he's describing. <laughs> She's gonna. Yeah. <laughs> and I think. I think it's just like Asha's immediately like very likable as a POV. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like seems pretty clear, you know, especially com- compare contrast with the other the other Greyjoys. Like she's very um, she's very you know her eyes are open. She's seems you know not like completely delusional. She seems to be fairly middle of the road in her thinking, which is probably you know probably not uh, that attractive to a lot of the ironborn but as a you know as a reader she seems like yeah she and i think you know you're bound to like the reader so whoever the reader likes you're going to like you know you're going to like them right. too yeah. but yeah she seems like one of the more immediately um sympathetic and likable povs that we get like she doesn't seem super complex yet actually well yeah. and i i think like it, part of it is in a a chapter in a book or well at this point a series that people buy a lot of, I don't know. I really appreciate the normal people. You don't get them that often, and when you do, it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, she's it, definitely one it, of the more normal POVs. I mean, like, you know, it's she thinks things through. She's, you know, she's like, she's not a Ramsey who's just going to torture, you know, Lady Glover just because, you know, like I, I imagine he would. I mean, she's like, you don't, A, you don't do that, and B, you know, these people have value, and, you know, you got to think about this stuff. But um, the one thing that drives me absolutely batshit crazy, and he started it in um, in this book, is the um, the nuncle business. Oh God! Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? I'm like, they, he didn't do that before, or I wouldn't have minded so much. But now, now, now we got nuncle, and I'm like, oh, God. they didn't put that in the show, right? <laughs> no. no, thank God. <laughs> I always kind of just amended in my brain to numbskull. <laughs> That's awesome. 
And I feel like 90% of the time in A Song of Ice and Fire, it works out for me. Is that based in any, like, reality? Or do you pull that? Oh, no, I think it's a term. I think it's a medieval term. But it's like, I really feel like he didn't know this. Because you don't get, I mean, there's plenty of other characters who have, uh, you know, uncles. (laughs) who are fond of them too and it's not until uh feast that he starts up with this so i kind of feel like he he was watching pbs one night or i don't know read an article or something and then went oh i've got to throw this in it just seems sort of like Like it feels old timey for him yeah Yeah, like i really feel like he had an encounter or something and then just went oh okay clearly this 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 belongs because it's nuts and it's just oh it's just a little overly cutesy sounding, so. I I hate the old timey tea shoppy kind of language. <laughs> it, it, I, you know my my feelings on this. I've spoken about this at length, and it's just like, oh my god, dude, really? You know, you went like the tea shop. I've never heard that. Well, you know, like the it comes. From, yeah, no, it's a great description. It's just like you couldn't have just. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand why he suddenly felt the urge to, to put that in there. So <laughs> he needed more words. He needed the <laughs> book to be bigger. <laughs> he was doing nano rhyme or whatever that is. Like you write there's so many words. <laughs> Although I guess it's the same number of words. Never mind. <laughs> Charles Dickens or whatever. More characters. Oh gosh. Okay, so do we have any mail? We do. We actually have um Three messages, um, two are from the same person. I may do a little editing because these are long and I don't have a lot of water. <laughs> but um, our first one comes from uh, Lemony, and I'm dying to know if this is from, Lem- you know, you took your handle from Lemony Snicket. But anyhow, mm-hmm. uh, Lemony writes, hey there, this has become a bit of a long rambling one. Sorry, but there's so much in my head and I've not engaged much in the community before. I've only gotten into the world of ice and fire during the last year, but I've become a bit obsessed and the relationship between these two, um, I believe they mean Jamie and Brienne based on the context, um, as well as their individual characters, honestly, is one of those elements that I found especially interesting and compelling. I am as worried as you all must be about what the winds of winter has in store for them and find it hard to guess. They have to be going to Lady Stoneheart and the Brotherhood, I'd have thought, because the whole point of choosing the sword over the noose was to save Pod, and presumably they will be hanging on to him for an insurance, should uh, Bree not return during the expected time. But we know so little. Did she have an escort to Penny Tree, or has she come alone? Is there an opportunity to explain everything on the journey? Is there going to be a loss of the trust that was so important between them, or can we hope their understanding runs deeper than that? I don't think the time seems right for either of our pair to snuff it, but things look dire. Here are the things I can imagine might somehow keep Lady Stoneheart from going straight for the kill. Chekhov's wolf pack, <laughs> brotherhood insurgency, or Jamie and Brienne being more used to her alive than dead. Um, for example, facilitation of Red Wedding 2.0 or some such. More preferably, some mission to protect her children that she had feared dead but now has reason to believe are alive. By the way, I don't think Stoneheart being quickly dispatched is a satisfying conclusion to her being resurrected, but I'll try not to go off on too much of a tangent about that here. There needs to be some final closure for her, and I have, I'd have thought that 
being in uh, that involved Rob's will and Ned's bones, a revelation about John and maybe the passing of the spark Beric gifted her. But who knows? I think I'd generally be kinder to these characters than George R. R. Martin is. I think most of us would yeah, be. Yeah. Would. So I finally arrive at what I think was going to be the point of this message. I know better than to expect happy ever afters for Jamie and Brienne, but like the rest of you, I wish for them to acknowledge their feelings for each other and share some sincere infection, uh, affection, not infection. <laughs> um, two totally different things. Or infection. <laughs> I know I thought was, oh, that might be okay. At least they're having no, sex. No, with affection, <laughs> not obstructed by defensive snark and insecurities. I had a thought about how Jamie might come to undeniably realize said feelings when I was unhappily thinking of all the awful ways their current ever after dangling cliffhanger might turn out for them. The winds of winter is going to be a dark volume all around and all our POVs are going to bear witness to some disturbing shit. Mm. Going away inside might not sound like the healthiest way of dealing with or rather failing to deal with troubling experiences in the long run, but it's the mechanism that that's got Jamie through historically, and old habits die hard. I was wondering how he would cope if he tried to go away inside now, because from what we've seen, the mental place he always took himself off to was being intimate with Cersei. And obviously, thinking of Cersei is not something that soothes him this day. It would only add fuel to the fire. I thought if something was happening that he could not or would not be wise to do anything about, and he was just trying to escape, uh, but... Didn't, but if he didn't have his usual place to retreat to, he might just be desperately searching for something comforting and reliable and lovely to think about and finds unbidden, he settles on Brienne, and it does the job better than anything else has. And ramble. Just amusing, and I thought you, you lot were probably the best audience for it that I'm likely to find, and you've been kind enough to give of yourselves and take time to make these casts for our listening pleasure. So it's only fair to engage and contribute back. Sorry again for the length of this message. All the best, Lemon Lemony. Oh, thanks for writing. There's a it, lot yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she has a point around, you know, Jamie kind of thinking of Brienne as as like a solace, and I, you know, and I think he does that in Feast and in Dance, you know, quite a bit. He finds himself thinking of her, and I think he uses that. But I, I also kind of feel like, you know his times of going away inside are these times that he's been powerless, you know, his time in the King's guard where he was basically forced to witness these atrocities. And I think part of his journey in feast is from us, from powerlessness to power to a certain extent. And so I would guess I would expect him to more likely be in a position where he could affect what's happening in wins rather than being a witness to it necessarily. Now I can be totally wrong, especially if we think that, you know, Jamie might be at least temporarily headed back to King's Landing and might be, um, you know, maybe he's a witness you know, that I could totally see him thinking back to his time with Brienne or using Brienne as, as that escape as well. But, um, you know, I kind of hope that doesn't happen for him, but it's that's what's so maddening about this this like ongoing cliffhanger that wasn't resolved on the show is that we just I mean <laughs> we don't have any clue what's really going to happen um, to yeah. them. You know, even you know Skipper. what's going to happen with Stoneheart, what's going to happen post Stoneheart. You know, all of that, which is really like there's not that many storylines that are this much up in the air still. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to imagine that that everything that happens was so unimportant that they could just skip right over it. If you take it at face value, and that's what they're serving us. Yeah. 
So do you, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've always imagined that Brienne had an escort to Pennytree just given her physical condition that um, I don't know that she could reasonably be expected to make it there by herself. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like she's in pretty bad shape, so I imagine she would have to have somebody. And they would be paranoid enough, even if she was okay to send someone with her to be sure she came back, I would think. Yeah. Kind of like, because that would be foolish if they didn't. Or did, so, so does she know or does she not know? You know, is the person just kind of shadowing her? Or? And then, I mean, I don't think that, I, you know, Stoneheart's request isn't to bring back Jamie Lannister. It's to kill Jamie Lannister. So, yeah. I mean, it could be a pretty interesting, you know, it could be that their resolution is that, you know, they get back to whoever Brienne's escort is. And, you know, it's like, okay, kill we're gonna, right. Kill the escort, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, that's true. And then they run off to the shack. And then, you know, yeah, who who knows what it, you know, who knows what happens, but yeah, it, it seems like who, you know, again, thanks for the 13 or, you know, 12 years, however many, however long the cliffhanger is that wasn't resolved in the show either, assholes. Like, oh man. Well, she I mean, and that's the thing too. She must die like right if they totally left her out and she wasn't necessary. She I don't know. She must die pretty stoneheart, I mean. Yeah, I don't, you know, or it just lifts out or it seemingly lifts out or they felt it would be too tacky of them to, you know, they felt they were above writing a zombie story, although God knows they've written some other shit or they just wanted to because it sounds like I initially thought he didn't because I had read that he didn't want them to do it, but that's wrong. He did. So now I've got to wonder what the hell they were thinking. And my guess is either they figured it wasn't going to matter with stuff they did. Like, you know, either that it wasn't crucial or that it would lift out kind of like some of the the other plots do like the fake Aegon. And it could be that they felt they weren't ever going to do it. I don't know. Maybe Michelle fairly wanted more money. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think they've sort of half substituted Arya for, for yeah. Stoneheart, but in like yeah. a in a really clumsy, terrible way, like they do with most of their choices. Like the choice itself is somewhat you could you could reason the choice itself out as something, but like the way it's executed is in like the most sledgehammery, stupidest way possible. So Um we also have um I'm gonna sort of combine these. We um we have uh two emails from Shelby. Um, who asks if we remember her, and she said we probably do because she was embarding, Im- bombarding our inbox with thesis statements for a while there. So she sent us another couple. But that's great. We love mail. So she writes, I just listened to your latest podcast, which is my one of my faves, by the way, about shipping, and I'm surprised that no one mentioned Jamie slash Elia Martell. They were practically engaged back in the day. Their mothers were friends. There's a connection there. Personality-wise, they seem compatible. We don't know that much about Elia, um, but we know that she liked to laugh and have fun. She had a good sense of humor, brightness, appreciated life. And despite her physical frailty, there seemed to be a strength to her. We've yet to meet a wimpy Dornishman. I'm guessing because of the gender equality down there. Uh, I think Jamie would admire her. He likes strong women. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little. Yeah. Um, whether they're physically strong or mentally, emotionally strong. And since she's Dornish, she would have been treated as a suitable heir. 
even though she's a woman. Uh, so I imagine that she would have had. Well, she's not the eldest, is she? I thought that was Doran. <sighs> yeah, I didn't think That's she. Me, by the way, and how? And how? Okay, so how old? Let me see. I'm looking up. <laughs> Anyhow, um, uh, so she's basically um, Shelby's basically pointing out that she would have had an education and training in politics. Although I, I don't agree with this point that non-Dornish noblewoman would not have had, and as and as such, sorry, um, she could have helped Jamie run the rock. Oh, I'm going to interject here. I think the education and training in politics is something. I mean, I don't know how much of a training in politics any of them have, but I think it's probably comparable. To, she's not the heir. I'm pretty sure that's Doran. Because aren't um, Elia yeah. and, she's t- and um, Jamie's 10 years younger? Uh, yeah. Elia? Elia Martell? He's 10 years younger than her. Elia? Is that who she's talking about? I mean, there was the proposed alliance. That's That's true. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that her education would have been any better than any other non-Dornish Dornish noblewoman. Anyhow, um, plus in canon, he feels a protectiveness and guilt over Elia and her children. It's also canon that Elia liked baby Tyrion and was able to look beyond his condition. I mean, I'm not I- disagreeing with a lot of this, but I don't know. I mean, there's quite an age gap, isn't there? Yeah, it's 10 years. I mean, it's less than him and Brienne, but yeah, I think it's more, you know, I've, I've always kind of felt like young Jamie, if he would have been married to anyone, his personality, like he kind of wants to be that, you know, obviously we all know he wants to be that, you know, that knight and shining arm more, more or less. And I think he would very easily convince himself to be loyal to his wife and maybe convince himself that he's in love with his wife. I mean, he does it with Cersei pretty easily. So I think, you know, if he and Elia had been married, he would have been, you know, happy with her as much as, you know, he would have been happy with Lysa. He would have been, like, he just, I don't know that at that age he necessarily needed something more complex. At his age now, it seems like Elia is a little too, um, like, he does kind of like feisty women, we know, you know, like, he kind of likes that in Cat. He likes it in Brienne. He likes it in Cersei. So I think maybe she's a little too a little too gentle, and I think some of his loyalty to her is loyalty to Rhaegar. Yeah. Okay, so we answered her question, which is, what do you guys think of this ship? Um, and she mentions that there's plenty of Jamie. I don't know how. Is it Elia or Elia? I, I say Elia in my head. Anyhow, there's good fanfic out there. Yeah. Okay. Which is fine. Yeah, that's. I don't know. She says, "Am I the only one who likes this ship along with Jamie and Brienne?" I, I can't judge. I'm a crack shipper, so. (laughs) I don't ship. I'm I'm like such a. I guess not. Not putting down anybody else's ships, but I pretty much only ship like Jamie. Jamie and like I, I understand the importance of Jamie and Cersei to his background story. I'm not discounting that, but I, yeah, I, I don't tend to. Um, and she talks about. Thanks for bringing up Jamie and Kat. It's canon. They're attracted to each other. She was always curious how when he went to see the Tullys because Tywin wanted to marry him to Lysa. He thought Lysa was pretty but found Kat more interesting. Well, I think this is me. Oh, and Kat totally wants to fuck him. LOL. Yeah. I, I, no, it's it's not just you, Shelby. <laughs> no, I think that's and I think that's fair. I mean, I think 
it's not just that Lysa's pretty, it's that he likes women with the, yeah. you know, a sort of strength of character. And also, I'm sure he probably would have subconsciously clocked that Lysa was not so interested in him. Um, I can't imagine her being real subtle about her affection for Peter. Yeah. Um, she writes, oh God, I still find it so hilarious now in one of her chapters in The Clash of King. Her inner log monologue is basically that mon- this monster crippled my son he's a piece of shit and i want him to die but those abs that hair those no! green eyes he's covered with filth and <laughs> smells like shit but he's still so hot how is this possible <laughs> am i the only one who saw it like that no <laughs> speaking of jamie's looks why do you guys hate his curly hair so much i like um, it I like I, yeah it. i don't think it's his curly hair it's that it's he's described as like in some of the pictures that you see like in George approved things. It's like long girly curl. Like he's very feminine looking in it. And I think that's what I don't find attractive. And his clothes sound like yeah. the man is, <laughs> they just sound tacky as hell. Yeah. I, mean, I don't really care about his hair so much as the, I, like when you read the descriptions of his outfits, like, Whoa, dude, except Chanel, for his nose. I like everything. Ex- away. I like everything except for his nose. Like I'd like him to have a bigger nose. Like I'm, I'm happy with Nikolai's nose as, as a substitute for the stum nose, <laughs> but everything else I'm okay with in the books. <laughs> All right. So I'm moving on to the second part of, well, the second email. And she writes that she just listened to our drunk cast from December. And I got to say, I'm kind of, but hurt that all y'all were shitting on the targs like that. Everyone has their own opinions, of course, but someone said the Targs were Sorry. boring. That's probably me or lot. And I just cannot comprehend how you see calling them assholes or disgusting, which they definitely are. But boring? <laughs> targs are insane, magil- magical, incestuous dragon riders. Please tell me what's boring about that like. Because too uh, much of it? I guess too much wait, 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 because wait, they're wait, all the same. Yeah, all we the can same. go yeah. and explain this. Um yeah. Doesn't have to be your cup of tea. I'm not trying to bash you for disliking them, but boring is the last thing I would call them. I don't know. Maybe I like them so much because I'm a fantasy geek, but the magical aspect to them fascinates me. And I like their connection to dragons and fire. The white hair and purple eyes are both creepy and cool to me. Valeria also intrigues me. In my opinion, the dance of dragons is one of the most interesting stories in a song of ice and fire not only perfectly speaks about the sexism of Westeros, but also has cool characters and awesome dragon battles. And Queen Rhaenyra is such a tragic character to me. I think most Targs aren't necessarily likable, but unforgettable and in- interesting. Do you guys not just not care about the magical aspects of the story, or do you just like the ice magic, like what's going on with the Starks? I mean, to me, it's that I signed up for A Song of Ice and Fire a story that presumably has a beginning and an end. And I would like to get to the fucking end of that story. And then you can go off and write about your fake history and set, you know, 300 years of Targaryen rulers. And I might happily be interested in some of it, but until you write the end of the fucking story you started, I don't give a goddamn about these Targaryen rulers. I don't care. Or, even more maddening is this asshole won't even write about the one fucking targ we do care about, which is egg. Instead, we'll write fake history. Like <laughs> finish or continue one of the fucking stories that you wrote. But no, we get all the ancillary shit. And it's so I don't care about the targs. And say it can that be- because the next part, and I actually want to go back to her point. Sorry, I, I really- to say that. 
With all of that being said, I want to put a disclaimer here. Even though I like the Targs, I still think the Fire and Blood fake history book is 100% bullshit. You do not <laughs> publish world-building side stories before finishing the, ma- the main series. And then she says all this other stuff, um, which is true about the other families. But again, which is why you should... I'm skipping over a few things, Shelby. I hope that's Okay. Uh, which is why he should fucking finish the series before giving us fake history. And he is already uh, the world of ice and fire. Why isn't everything we need to know in that book? It feels kind of like a ripoff to me. I agree with everything you said about it, except the Targate. But yeah, fuck that book. I've heard, this is hysterical because it's exactly what, uh, I've heard some people say they're boycotting it to show Martin that they won't buy any more Song of Ice and Fire's. Unless it's the winds of winter or Dunkin' Egg, because at this point the wait time is ridiculous. I can see where they're coming from. Also, why is the Targ sigil on the cover of Fidget Spinner? Um, so she agrees with you. I think for me, it's that I've read a lot of fantasy too. And the Targs, they seem both tr- like cliche to me like having the different color hair and the different color eyes and all that stuff is such a fantasy trope that it seems a little cliche and at the same time they're kind of like trailer trashy to me with the insanity and the marrying your cousin and your brother and all that it's just i don't care yeah i I mean to me it's sort of like well would i rather do i find the targs interesting or would i prefer like the would I prefer the stories of of the British royal family from like George the Third back, you know? And do I want like the, do I want like the actual palace intrigue and history and war, or you know would I prefer Targ? And it's like you know the actual history is pretty it's it's more interesting to me. And at this point, even if I actually did find Targaryen history interesting, there is literally no force on earth that would make me admit it. I would, I would well, deny it out of spite. <laughs> well, if I think if the book, gosh, if the book was a lot slimmed down and it was just pretty much like it was just the Starks and the Targaryens and just a little bit of the others, like I almost feel like it's it's like a show. Okay, I'm using the Simpsons as example, but you watch the Simpsons, and to me, like all the other ensemble casts are so much more interesting and fascinating. Like I loved following the storylines of the other characters more than the main family. So that's kind of what it is for a Song of Ice and Fire for me. Like the two, you know, the big main ones. I'm like, nah, I really kind of like the other ones, and I'm looking for their storylines more. And I don't. But we yeah. haven't gotten Jacob of the Starks. Like I mean, <laughs> Martin had to be basically bludgeon to come up with um yeah. you know who's ned's mom and it's oh well, i guess it's john yeah i like, guess john more than the starks so i would say yeah then he's not really <laughs> like he just doesn't yeah i'm ugh. i don't think i i mean i guess my my problem with it is is like i have read there's parts of the song as of uh, ice and fire i haven't heard i haven't seen done before and i like those i'm here for those yeah. and then there are parts of the series where i'm like you know what I've I've been through this before. Yeah. It's not my first yeah. rodeo. I have read my share of fantasy novels, and it feels very. And and do don't you? I mean, do you feel this way too? But I almost feel like they don't. God, they don't feel as fleshed out or as real as the other ones do. No, I'm not even fact, talking about the magic. Like, it's aside from the magic. Like Total. Why shit. I love the series so much is that it is different. 
than fan- the, a lot of yeah. the fantasy novels I've read. So then I take that and I go back down to this sort of, um, again, I've, I've done this before, read this before. Uh, and I, you know, it, the hair, the this, the that, it yeah. just feels so hackneyed to me. And um, so I'm not really, it's not that they're, well, yeah, it's it's not that I'm necessarily finding, it's just I've heard these stories before. So there's that level, that's where the boredom comes in. I mean, well, and it's not, you know, it's not a story where we're learning anything about the characters from the characters. It's written as yeah, a dry history. So yeah, if we, it's all other people we, talking yeah, about. If we got, maybe if we got their other point of views, I could say of other Targaryens, I could say, okay, well, then that makes a little, you know what I mean? I could, I feel like we well, could, like with Egg, you get you yeah, know, some yeah. insight into his character because yeah, it's, yeah. you know, not. Yeah. I mean, I'd be, you know, I feel like George would be just as happy with a calendar of you know, thir- like let's make it like a 16-month calendar, a 16-month calendar with like a douchey portrait of a douchey targ, and two paragraphs about them, because that's really about what we and we need, and he would seem to be satisfied. Because I feel like what he cares about is describing the particular shade of blonde and particular shade of purple of their eyes. So there, we can get that in your stupid picture. And do you think he really likes paragraphs. them and he's trying to convince people? Yes. Do you think he thinks they're popular? Like, do you think no, he, I think he, he really, really likes, likes it. them? Okay. Yeah, I think he does. And he's trying to convince everyone else to love them just as much. Maybe. Well, and I think there are people who learn. do. Yeah. I mean, well, people bought I the think... book. And, and you know what? That yeah. right there. But I, I wouldn't have kept reading it if it was just Danny. If it was just I like a, the book, if for was... God's sake. I, well, if it was just Danny and like a dance with dragons, I wouldn't have. Uh... <laughs> you put in a fourth was, I wouldn't have kept buying them. If I it mean, was the other thing start. <laughs> is that there's probably prequels that are going to be about some of the things that are in the oh, stupid book, and so it's right. priming the pump for his so, next okay. TV project. Mm. So it's not even just avoiding the things we want; it's like a cynical money grab for future shit we don't want. Yeah. We also have, um, she's got a few more things to say here, um, but she's wondering, she says she's not, she doesn't understand the massive hate this fandom has for Danny. She's not even a huge Danny fan, but I don't think I'm being biased here. I'm going to summarize basically what, what uh, Shelby writes here, but she's talking about um, the points about that da- uh, Danny is similar to Stannis, that um it, even though she's entitled, she can be humble. She does want to learn. She wants to be better. Um, she wants to help people. She's anti-slavery. Um, but people hate her for crucifying the slavers. She's criticized for befriend- befriending the Dothraki. Um, people say everything was handed to her, that she's had it too easy. And, and Shelby's pointing out that that is not the case. And that I've also heard plenty of people call her a kinslayer because she didn't intervene when Drogo carried Viserys, and it's like, am I in the Twilight Zone? Um, they're play- Basically, she writes, there's quite a lot here, but those are her big points. And she's saying that these are the things she hears people use to, to criticize Danny, especially on Reddit. And for the most part, she thinks it's bullshit. Um, Danny is certainly fl- fra- flawed, and I'm quoting her now, 
And she does frustrate me at times, mainly when she's swooning over Dario or refusing to learn more about the continent she wants to conquer or refusing to refusing to ally herself with the Martells. Probably one of the dumbest things she's ever done. Um, blah, blah, blah. But she's not e- as evil, as terrible as people make her out to be. She makes mistakes, but she's capable of great compassion and she does want to be good. She tries and fails, but she does try. Yet people say she's really a vi- villain that she's her father reborn. I just don't get it. I don't want to accuse all of her haters of sexism, but I feel like it plays a part because of these double standards with Stannis and John and probably other, a few other male characters thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like she's right. Like Danny makes a lot of, you know, Danny and John make a lot of mistakes as you might expect from 16 year olds. Um, you know, thrust into positions of leadership. And I think that John has a, you know, John, as a boy, let's be fair, as a boy gets a little bit of slack, but then I also think that his narrative is a little bit stronger and is, and is in general tied to the rest of the story in a way that Danny's isn't. And so, you know, as Danny's story kind of falls into a quagmire a bit, I think that some of the frustration with her story not moving forward and being more disconnected sort of... um falls onto her character a bit. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, again, it's not, I guess when I got, like, I think I liked her in the first book um, quite a bit, and then it started to get old for me. I actually, her lusting after Dario is one of the more understandable things she does for me. Um, But it's like, part of it is the way Martin writes her, um, part of it is the endless fashion discussions, the food. It just goes on and on and on. And she's not as tied to the other characters because she's on this other continent doing all this stuff. And I've it's it's all very, I don't know. It's um, it just falls apart for me a little bit. Yeah. Um. And I'm not disputing. I mean, I. Stannis is a highly flawed character. I love the guy, but he's got issues and his issues have issues. And, <laughs> but I mean, I think there are, I do see some evidence that maybe she's not as mentally stable um, and that it is possible. She is going to go the way of her, her father. The other thing is, is she is approaching Westeros as a conqueror. She's not approaching it as a ruler. And I do see her as a conqueror. She's one of these people who comes in kind of like the United States, you know, brings in all the troops, does all the stuff and then leaves and then stuff falls apart. Yeah. It's kind of like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I mean, whole plot, (laughs) she does mean well, she does hate slavery. I get that. I admire that, but it, it gets hard to identify with her. And the other thing, and again, this is the fault of Martin He's got a real problem writing younger characters sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they come across as children, like Arya, book Arya definitely does. Um, but Danny seems a lot older than I would argue most 16-year-olds really are. Yeah. Um, there's just not... I mean, John, frankly, seems older than most 16-year-olds are. Um and he sexualizes her quite early in a way that's, I don't know. 
it's and that you know i'm reading her not so much as the you know the child she is but more like an adult which is the opposite of the problem i have with sansa and people do that with her all the time um people seem to read her as a 25 year old too and she's like you know younger than danny so part of that maybe is on me as a reader I'm just not that interested in her story. And then the show came along and compounded it by hiring Amelia Clark, who frankly, I don't think can act her way out of paper bag. I've seen some of her work post show and I really think she needs to save all our money. So that does not help me. That makes me even less interested in her. Yeah. And the white savior thing is there in the book too. And I don't like that either. So that's me. I, I, <laughs> and then we've got, I mean, Guile is, is a, likes Danny. So Guile has a different perspective, of course, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I agree with a lot of Shelby's, with a lot of Shelby's defense of Danny. And um, I, I think to like characterize her as a conqueror versus Stannis, which, I mean, I, I kind of don't want to get into the argument of it, but. I see literally no difference between the two of them in those terms. I think, um, I think Danny, Danny's been given the same. I mean, I just see Danny, you know, and I think of Kevin's epilogue and I think of Varys's big speech about Egan and, you know, his speech about Egan is a speech about John and it's a speech about Danny. And I think that, um, what, you know, again, the show does it in a very clumsy, I'm going to break the wheel speech, but, you know, she, there is something to her that she, her experiences, if she, you know, if she does remain sane, which is the big question with her, her experiences would lead her to see the issues with the way that rest, that Westerosi society is and perhaps there are some changes for the better and you know i mean what is one of the reasons one of the reasons that we know anything about egg and dunk and i think you you know you see a lot of um dunk's characteristics in his descendant brian and you know what are we seeing some of egg's characteristics in his descendant of danny in terms of empowering in the small folk versus the nobility you know versus the nobility etc do you see you know, where there are all these, like, warning signs about the madness of Targaryens, which, you know, it seems pretty likely that Egg also suffered, but there's also, you know, a lot of Egg's work and his beliefs kind of went unfinished, and is she the heir to that as well? Mm. And I, you know, that that aspect of her, I feel like, is really promising. So I think, you know, as they say, you throw the coin with any Targaryen, and, you know, with her, yeah, we don't know what we're going to get, but I think there's reason to believe that, she could be, you know, something really good. I don't think, you know, I personally think that she's going to, you know, die a hero. Like, I don't think she's going to rule, but um, I like her. I hope, you know, I hope the best for her. Like, <laughs> keep trying, Danny. <laughs> <sighs> Was that, um, do we have another? That is it. Mail? Oh, that's it. Okay. 
Well, thanks for writing in. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Meaty questions there. And uh, you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter at door podcast and please like reviews and subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, Google Music, uh, wherever you listen. And please support us on Patreon at close the door. Um, thanks. <laughs> it's a little bit of a smaller podcast tonight, but it's all good. Goodbye, everyone. I'm closing the door. Get out.